Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. We're two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Eve. Hey, Kieran. Uh, guess what? What? The, the first one to heaven wins. Oh, shit. So, uh, um... I guess we, we're losers, but we're going to have all of the good partying in hell. I mean, obviously. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah, I'm like, I feel like I'm I'm already automatically disqualified from this. It's fine. Hi, listeners. We want to talk to you about the insane, flaming hubris and audacity of white men. I mean... Which isn't really that different from what we usually talk about, but this this one in specific is about the ones who go to other countries to evangelize people and <laughs> expose them to diseases and shit. So what do you think the Venn diagram for um, colonialist missionaries and anti-vaxxers is? Not quite a circle, but pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Like, because there are some who are like, no, I should not bring my germs into the other like environment well yeah there's like medical missionaries who yeah. like, seem to do some good but that's like they're usually like cleaning up a mess that one of these crappy missionaries have made that's like true smallpox in or whatever mm-hmm. so in case you haven't figured it out we want to talk to you about john chow and his stupid and unnecessary death on north sentinel island we want to talk to you about missionary culture. Yeah, why why did he feel like this is something that he should do or could do or or what what led him to do this anyway to begin with? Why would you go find people who don't want to be found? Well, don't you know that Jesus said we have to go and um conquer nations with our white people diseases and um and when they're on their deathbeds convert them to uh believe in him? Oh, I wait, that's not, how, that. that's not how that works, yeah. is it? That was how not how it... I read... No. <laughs> I forgot about that part. I mean, that's how it actually works? That is how it actually works. <laughs> okay, so I, I believe the, the phrase is, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all men. And uh, this is the, the phrase that Jesus says when he is literally physically ascending into heaven. Like, right. Like, heaven's open and he, like... He is actually floating into, into for the, real. the clouds to sit at the right hand of God. You know, maybe the like new Mars probe will find him. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, find his bones. <laughs> so, oh, like, man. the ascension is that is this piece of uh, you know wackadoodle theology that. They believe that like, Jesus's body, because it was sinless, gets to go to heaven, like in total. But all the rest of us have to get new bodies because, you know, we're sinful. Right. Like our our mortal flesh bodies right. have are tainted by, by and sin. and since God inhabited that body, that body gets to go to heaven. Right. So, but that command is like is called. Oh God, I've forgotten the name of it. It's the Great Commission. Yes. So it's this concept of uh, the disciples are to go spread this religion and proselytize throughout the entire world. 
And when they say, when, when the verse says, go make disciples of all men, it's meant incredibly literally. I mean, this is why, like, the Crusades happened. This is so oh, much. I thought that was of, just like, racism. I mean, I always learned it as it was meant to evangelize. Oh, okay. I think that was. <laughs> I think that was the cover story. I think it was like, <laughs> but is that different now? Yeah. So we should talk about Jim Elliot because I feel like he's like super relevant, and he is like the kind of the 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 climax of um, like Western white missionary culture yeah yeah in the 1950s there's this segment of um jungle in ecuador that had some tribes that had never been contacted and um a whole bunch of missionary boys who had gone to wheaton college decided that they were going to train and study local languages and learn the terrain and like try to make contact with this people group to proselytize them and bring them to the Lord. And uh, the the tribe's name is, um, they're the Waurani people, but they were called at that point the Alka. And the Alka is a, is a word from, um, I can't remember if it's, if it's from Wow or if it's from um, Quechua, but it's a it's a word that means savage. So it's kind of it's a it's a racial it's basically a racial slur. So it, when you hear the story, they always talk about the Alka people, which is incorrect. Oh and my nobody God. uses that term anymore. Yeah. Um, but in, in you know American Christian culture, it's a it's a big deal. So um, they they went down in the fifties, late fifties, I think it was. And they learned Quechua, and they, like, learned Spanish and stayed in the jungle and, like, taught themselves the region. And they were funded by, I believe Shell Oil was, like, the one who was, like, supplying all of their planes. And they were staying at Shell Oil stations in the jungle. So they are like... Oh, wow. Like, deeply tied with, with uh, big oil. And... Um, Shocked. Which actually, like, comes in later because when they did get in touch with civilization they like lost a lot of their their land because shell oil mm-hmm. wanted to drill under it Duh. Yep. yep so these five guys Shocking. fly in and they like have learned a couple phrases from um the wow language and they're like because they there was a, a woman who had been like kidnapped from that tribe who still spoke it and they learned from her so they had some like stock phrases of like we're friends. We have gifts for you. They dropped gifts. They like did flyovers and dropped things into the village for a little bit, and then they like came in and were camping on this sandbar in the river. And uh, some of the wild people, Warani people, came out to talk to them, and then went back into the the jungle. And then that evening, um, a bunch more came back and killed them all. And there, this this story is legend in American christian circles um what do you what do you remember about jim elliott growing up i don't remember a whole lot of details besides that like he was held up as sort of like one of those missionaries who died for the cause so like he was revered a bit and i think he was used in examples as like how you should approach being a missionary Mm mm-hmm he had written these journals, and his wife Elizabeth, who later 
contributed heavily to courtship culture with her her book. Um, mm-hmm. Oh God, what is that book called? I don't remember, but we can find out. Yeah, we can find out. I'm I'm really happy I've forgotten it. Like I know, it, me like, too. I used I'm to like... read it like twice a year, um, <laughs> like <laughs> deliberately blocked it out. So Jim Elliot um, wrote these journals. And the book where they're collected is called In the Shadow of the Almighty. And he's, like, basically this, like, super messiah complex, like, super martyr complex. Like, God has called me, and if I die, I'll bring him glory. And, like, you have to just, like, completely give yourself over to this kind of mission work. And um, there's this phrase that he's famous for that, like, you hear in christian high school graduates using a lot where it's like wherever you are be all there lived life lived to the hilt Mm -hmm. which do you remember that that story from i feel like it's the book of judges where like the the king is being super disrespectful to god so god sends a prophet to go murder him yes the left-handed and like they didn't expect that he would have like a weapon on him because he was left-handed and he like killed this guy and like he plunged the the sword into this man's belly so far and the guy was so fat that the fat like exploded and like covered the hilt oh my god i forgot that detail i loved that detail (laughs) you still love that detail it's just such a like like you have this like story like this like book of like history and it's super dry and then you have like ehud the left-handed stabbed this guy so hard that like all the fat exploded and covered his hand in the like swallowed up the sword um and that's the image that i always like had in mind when i read that jim elliott quote was like you're supposed to like thrust yourself into whatever situation you are so far that like the fat swallows the hilt wow my brain is a really fun place (laughs) i appreciate that that's how your brain took it so just like (laughs) yes that's that's the that's what it came up with yeah but yeah so jim elliott's kind of like held up as this like ideal example of um how you are supposed to do and be and like i have a classmate here at holland who has spent a lot of time um in that same region of ecuador and she is very very concerned with how um the oil companies have are like destroying the rainforest and it's it's a direct result of jim Elliot and his buddies coming in mm-hmm. and um these these indigenous peoples have been disenfranchised and they're not getting like the money from the oil or from their land and they've gotten you know sick and diseases and had to like integrate into larger ecuadorian society and really like it's just destroyed their entire culture and way of life meanwhile they all all the missionaries and whatever come back to the u.s or wherever they're home is and are heralded as like god's chosen people doing good great work yeah preaching the gospel to these lost sinners did you used to have um like little photos of missionary families that your family was supporting on your fridge yeah so what 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 is that all about like talk about how missionary culture is seen on the other side yeah well it's like because it's because going forth and making disciples of men is the great commission it's it's heralded as like the 
the highest calling for a Christian, really, if you can swing it, is to be a missionary. And everyone is also like, this is only something that some people can do. So it's like this really elite thing, like being a pastor. Yeah, it's a calling. Yeah. Um, but a lot of like churches will sponsor missionaries and like send groups of people. And sometimes there will be people who are missionaries full time that mm-hmm. like they go to different churches and different churches sponsor them. And so then they like send out a postcard with their family on it. They're like, hey, church, support this family. And then the people who like donate to sponsor that family get like the picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and then like there's a. Um... You can like sponsor children in orphanages that their the missionaries are running. Like, yeah, we did this, that too. Yeah, there's this whole like consumerist culture that's created oh, yeah. around this. Like before, before GoFundMe was a thing, like Christians had invented it. Yeah, long form. Yep, it was um, going to churches, giving presentations, saying, "Hey, here, help these orphan kids." We did. Yeah. We sponsored a child as part of. Uh, what was it called? It was like the biggest one. It was like World something. World Vision? Yeah, it was World Vision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we sponsored a child through World Vision for And then there's like, like Compassion International. All of these, and all of these groups, by the way, like if you look into them, they all have like, like scandals where like the children oh, yeah. are taken from their families to be put in these communities and... Um, so like they're, they're reputedly orphans, but they're not actually. And, and you have this in like Christian adoption settings too, Mm -hmm. where like kids, kids will, there's so so many stories of kids being like literally sold to Americans, um, when they have like families that want them back home. Um, and a lot of them will just be like indoctrinated with religious teaching and not actually educated or equipped to like have a career or like build a life after they go through whatever program they're in. And they're like, look, we're taking care of these people. We're giving them food, shelter, medicine. We're teaching them how to read. And it's like, well, you're like really separating them from their families and only teaching them very limited things. And everything is extremely whitewashed. Yeah. So I really, really wanted to be a missionary growing up, but I always like saw the short-term mission stuff as being super sketchy and um so i aspired to like be that kind of person that went and like lived somewhere and like did work i was like part of the reason i wanted to be a midwife at some point was i wanted to um go and do medical missions work i wanted to go like help somewhere which is that idea that impulse of i want to go help somewhere is so naive and misguided and like assumes that like you know better mm-hmm. than these people about how they should live their lives and that you have, like, the secret knowledge that they can't get along without, even though they've, like, existed for thousands and thousands of years right. just fine well before you. you were born, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, I will say, I think part of the reason I I had this impulse was not necessarily just to help, but also it was the only sanctioned method for a woman Mm -hmm. to not be under the authority of men and it was like you could be a single woman called to missions work and like run your life the way you wanted and nobody could tell you no so you have stories of like mary slusser in um central africa who is the like collecting there's a the the tribe she was working with had a, a 
a belief about twins where one of them was possessed with an evil spirit, so they'd leave it to die in the jungle. And so she would go collect them and, like, adopted them and created an orphanage and, like, helped them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, Amy Carmichael in India, she was working in Kolkata, and she, she would take children that had been sold to the temples for sex work, and she would kidnap them and then keep them in her orphanage which is like so presumptuous like and such a like white lady thing to do but like these were women who were like fierce and independent and like living their own Mm -hmm. lives and doing their own shit and so that was that was something i wanted um and that was the only like form that that was acceptable socially acceptable my parents really wanted to do missions work in my my dad i think went on at least one, maybe two mission trips. So how does um, a how does a like a short term mission trip work? So your church like organizes it or organizes it in tandem with a organization that helps, and you get a bunch of people who are interested. Uh, I think they do, or at least the churches that I was in. Uh, I think they spent a couple days orienting people with the language and the culture a little bit. A not, couple days. That's like, no, that's no time. Yeah, it's zero, zero time. It took me um, six weeks uh, to like be able to like ask for breakfast in Kyrgyz. Yeah, I mean, well, the only thing that they really teach you how to say is like evangelizing in the language. And uh, mm. the mission trips that the churches I went to went on were usually to... Uh, Haiti or Guatemala so a lot of us a lot of us a lot of people already kind of knew like Spanish so learning like it was easy enough to jump and learn the other languages um, and the nuances there ish without I mean know. I feel like that's like <laughs> I think that's the theory I don't think that's I mean that's I don't the theory think, that I, don't think that's, I don't think that's no, reality no it didn't actually happen that's just like how it yeah. how it's how it's marketed and, yeah. and like you'll be able to do this like so like i have heard that these like these summer mission trips that like people would go down and they'd be like we're gonna go like help build an orphanage or like we're gonna like build a school yeah. or we're going to go like do a summer camp for these kids who live at this orphanage or school mm-hmm. um, yeah that was part of it is it was like building a thing or bringing supplies yeah and it's so interesting because like if you think about how far money goes in these places that are, like, not developed in the same ways as where we live, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> the fact that you, like, have these white people raising, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars for, like, 10 white teenagers to go someplace for a week yeah. to bring supplies is, like, such a waste. Just send the money. Don't yeah. send the people. Well, they don't, go they don't, so much they don't care about that. They, they don't care about making it better. They want to send people there to proselytize. And, and most of that is spent on getting the people there. Yeah, you just Very you want, you want to be able to like, get a, a, a cute photo of your your white basic self in Tom's shoes with like surrounded by smiling brown children. Exactly. That way, that way you can find your, your handsome pastor husband. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. you'll be that's that's how that's how you become the smoking hot wife, right? Of the pastor. <laughs> um, so I, you remember my friend um, Robert Evans from Behind the Bastards? Yeah, 
He used to talk about this. So he grew up um, in an evangelical community in in Texas, and um, definitely not fundamentalist, but like still like mission trips were a thing in his community. Mm-hmm. And he went on a mission trip as a kid. I don't. I feel like it was in Central America somewhere. But but what they did was they were building the foundation for a a schoolhouse, I believe, and. They were so bad at what they were doing oh, that no. every night after they finished their work, the organization that was hosting them would have locals come in and redo everything that they did oh, at night when they God. so they wouldn't know. Like he found out by accident. So like they were like having to do twice the labor because they were doing their foundation laying work incorrectly. So they were wasting materials. That they had brought, and they were like making extra work for everybody. Oh my god! And it was like this huge, like open secret in that community. Oh my god, that's terrible. But that's kind of that's kind of how these things always go. It is. It is how they go. Like that's that's kind of that's kind of an uh, the perfect anecdote to describe these these mission strips. Yeah, exactly. And and you know. They all have all these like white savior complexes, so they're like, "Yeah, I'm here and I'm helping, and and it's fine that these people have to clean up after my mess because I'm doing them a favor by being here, and it just fuels that." It, right. It's it's a direct um, extension of of colonialism, of white colonialism. It is. Um, because like the situation with the Warani in Ecuador, like the the point is to destabilize the the indigenous population so that you can convert them to your society and tell them all the things that they're doing wrong. And then you can steal whatever resources they have Mm -hmm. and make a profit off of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they should willingly give it to you out of thanks for, you know, saving them and showing them the air of their ways. Yeah. Giving them eternal life, really. Saving their mortal souls. Yeah. And it's like, and this is, uh, it's everywhere. Like, this is why, like, this is sort of, like why the u.s is the way it is like this is how uh, i feel like missionary work is literally colonization and that's like why we have all of these problems right now yeah so talk about john chow what's the story like what why are we why are we talking about him today uh i mean because he died for doing that thing uh <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> one less, one less obnoxious white missionary bro to swipe around on Tinder, I guess. Yeah. Thank you. He did. He did. He did the women of the world a favor. Mm-hmm. Really well, and like, and and what you said at the at the beginning actually is something that that he said. Like, the first one to heaven wins. That was his mindset. Like, like that's that's how he lived his life. So he approached his missionary work that he was doing as like he didn't really mind if he died doing it. Like that was kind of the point. And then that's how that's how my family saw a lot of things too. And and when you say things like that, that's that stands out to me because I'm like, ah, uh, there's a lot actually going on there. Right. So he's just taking the like I want to be like Jesus stuff so literally that you become a messiah complex yeah. because you are looking to go die for this cause. Like and probably... You are spoiling for a fight. 
probably not helping him in this messiah complex aspect is the fact that his initials are jc and he used that on his youtube channel yeah he he's he is like look i am literally jesus christ yeah and 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 for the uninitiated something that was part of like the culture in all of my churches growing up was any anyone who had the initials jc like felt like they were super special because they had jesus's initials and like i knew youth pastors who made a big deal of being like 33 and they're oh yeah, yeah my mom did that too like, like yeah the, the your jesus year yeah when you like turn if 33. you if you survive it then i don't know obviously you're not called to martyrdom <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, you're not enough like jesus yeah. You have more growing to do. But that was a huge thing. And it and it's just like, yes, like using that is a huge, huge signal to me that they had a messiah complex happening. Like, yes, they are his initials, but because of his background and his belief about the way he like approached his missionary work, there was a messiah complex thing happening. He was prepared to die for this and didn't like, I feel like that plays into not caring a lot about the impacts that you're having. Yeah, yeah. So this goes into what we were talking about last episode with, like, the who cares what the consequences are. God's going to, like, come back and fix everything. Mm -hmm. This is the same kind of mindset of, like, they're, like, who cares about consequences? Like, this is not real life. Like, your your physical existence right now is not legitimate because we are this yearning for heaven. This is not your final heaven. form. We're, yeah, this is not your final home. We're yearning for heaven. We're yearning for our new bodies and our new earth and new heaven. And like that is what matters. So if we go to this village and we get these people sick with our white people diseases and they all die, but they die believing in Jesus, it's worth it because that's a right. better existence than what they had before. Right, because you just saved them and their souls and really... This is this existence is just in the way of being in heaven, and everyone just wants to be in heaven. So I believe, as as I think, say Jones would say, the caucasity of it all. That's <laughs> yeah. like kind. Of, that's yeah. kind of the epitome of it. That's the pinnacle of what that 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 phrase means. It's like this is some white colonialist empire bullshit. Yeah. It's better for you to die believing in this religion that we introduced you to of a disease that we also like from a disease we also introduced you to than it is for you to continue living the existence that like has been your way for eons. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a fault. It's a false choice. Like, well, like, you know, it's, it's some person holding a gun to your head and saying, do this thing or else. And mm -hmm. I'm still going to shoot you anyway. And it's your own fault. Yep. That's, that's basically how missionary Ying is. Yeah, it's gross. It's really gross. Like the more the more like away from church I've been and the more I've grown as a person, the grosser like missionarying is to me. Well, yeah, like the the less you are indoctrinated and like the less you're used to having your boundaries crossed mm -hmm. and having demands made on you um in all of these unreasonable and presumptive ways the more uncomfortable you're going to get with them. And when you run into them, you're going to have, like, you know, strong allergic reactions if you're, yeah. like, a sentient human. <laughs> yep. Like, the way missionarying works when they're like, oh, yeah, we'll bring food and supplies and provide all of these things uh, and and teach people the right way. It reminded me a lot of the Salvation Army 
um, which I don't know. Like my mom really was into the Salvation Army, so I read like some biography about uh, William Booth. Yeah, when I was a child, and um, William and Catherine Booth were the couple who founded it. Yeah, and the Salvation Army is like everybody knows about it. There's their stores in every town. Uh, it's huge. This huge, very Christian, very evangelical organization. Yeah. Um, that you know, runs their stores and all of that. But if you want to get any aid from them at all, uh, one, you can't be queer. Uh, and two, you have to like go through this process and basically like be indoctrinated. Yeah, the term army is, is like not a metaphor. No, they no, it's, have it's very... an entire like booklet and a lifestyle and training program. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, I mean, it's, it's, Scientology light in some ways because it's it's this very strict environment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when it started, William and Catherine Booth, it was started in Victorian England, and there was like no welfare for poor factory workers. Right. And the unions weren't a thing yet, and so I think what they were doing is they were helping like children who were orphaned or abandoned by their families. And they were helping, like, young mothers and, like, all these poor people who didn't really have a lot of resources. And yep. so they, there was some good that they were doing. Yeah, I mean, it was this, started like, to fill a need, but they had this entire... But they were very strict about yeah. their, like, lifestyle requirements. And, like, you had to, like, be completely sober. So they're, like, tied up with AA in certain ways. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like there's stories of them, like, abusing disabled people. Yeah, they weren't great with that. I don't. I like. I. I don't remember. And they don't really much. pay their employees. Yeah. very well. No, and and, money, and, and the, the, the money goes too, straight like, up to the top of the food chain. Yeah, is is the when I when I lived in Maine, this is a complete sidebar, but I have beef with the Salvation Army outside of they just hate queer people, mm -hmm. but they they believe they are the only organization that can provide aid, and mm -hmm. so I worked for a nonprofit in Maine where we like gave presents to uh, like migrant children and poor families in Maine who couldn't afford Christmas presents. Mm -hmm. And they would also, these families would also go to the Salvation Army and the Salvation Army would say, if you go get presents from this other nonprofit, then you can't use our services. <laughs> so don't ever donate anything to the Salvation Army. They're terrible yeah. humans. Yeah, I refuse to shop there ever. Yeah. Like, because they're so bad. They're they're awful. Their I think the last time I shopped there was at the Salvo in Grove City when I was like a junior in college. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, mm -hmm. they require a lot. They're like any services that they provide outside of their thrift store is very strict and authoritarian and rigorous, and they hate gay people. It's 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 another little cult. Yep, it really is. Okay, and it's huge. Yeah, and, and and people, they're just so, they're just so ubiquitous, nobody even thinks about it. Right, like, they don't, you know, the Santa Clauses aren't, like, the Santa Clauses don't hate gay people, the Santa Clauses probably are gay themselves in some cases, but, like, <laughs> they don't, they yeah, don't Yeah, but they've probably been forced services. to go through conversion therapy. <laughs> right, yeah, and, and they're just, like, it's, it's missionarying at home and indoctrinating people at home. Mm -hmm. And it's the same kind of approach that I see people like John Chow, but it's yeah. domestic. Yeah, it is. 
So um, I feel like if you've listened to this for a while or know me, you know that I served in the Peace Corps and you've probably got a lot of questions in terms of like, if you're so against this, why did you do that? And uh, I will I will acknowledge that historically speaking, the Peace Corps has had problems of this nature. And that Peace Corps volunteers as individuals often go into Peace Corps with the same kind of messiah complex and the same kind of like white savior mentality. It was a very complicated decision for me. And I had a whole lot of reasons for why I needed to do it. Some of it was related to I just needed to be as far away as I possibly could get from my family when my parents were going through a a split because I could I could like see the writing on the wall and I was like oh god I'm gonna get roped back in to all of this <laughs> so I just need to go a very very far away um and I was right and I was really glad I did it but there was also this this part of me that really needed to on some level recover my resume from years and years of being involved with Christian nonprofits and like show that I was interested in something legitimate. But I mean, bounded choice where you have very like limited options mm-hmm. to make free choices, like really complicated and like really ran my life for so long that like it, it's just hard to talk about. But um, so the Peace Corps I their language acquisition stuff is some of the best that I've ever heard of. And um and honestly a lot of like other professional organizations where they require you to learn languages, like they mimic things off of the model the Peace Corps developed. So when you go to your host country in Peace Corps, the there's a there's a headquarters in that country and um the staff, like locals to Americans ratio, they have like Peace Corps has requirements for how many Americans can be on staff in that headquarters. And it's usually a really low number, like two or three. And so it's staffed by locals who are invested in the work. Peace Corps doesn't go into a country unless that country invites them. And Peace Corps volunteers do not do work at any site or in any community or of any kind, unless it is with within the requested kinds of work that that host country has invited Peace Corps in to do. So that it's they call it a skills trade, so or a skills exchange. So they'll like be like, we need our English teachers to have better conversation skills to better equip our children. So you can come in and work in our schools, and we have certain sites that are open to you, and you only work in those communities so it's very much like initiated by the host country run by host country nationals and like your job description is designed by the locals you don't get so if you ever see um if you ever see a peace corps volunteer asking for funds on um like their facebook page or through a like a crowdfunding source it means that Peace Corps has not approved this project as being sustainable. It doesn't mean that they disapprove this project, but they have very strict requirements for um, the kinds of projects they will fund. And it has to be something that's initiated by the community, so it's not the Peace Corps volunteer's idea. It has to be managed by someone in the community. The Peace Corps volunteer can never touch the funds. Like, they can, you know, use the funds, 
but the the bank account is going to be in the name of a local and managed by a local and the budgeting is managed by a local and you report back your spending and any money that you don't use goes back into Peace Corps coffers, which is like tax dollars uh, or USAID funds because they, they, they partner with them in some countries. Um, and you have to write the project plan in such a way that whatever whatever happens to you, you're kind of irrelevant. So the project mm-hmm. is like sustainable. Like the way they, they talk about it is, I mean, it's such a, a, a stupid catchphrase. Like it means nothing, almost nothing now. But the way they see it is like, it has to be able to be like run and continued without your help. Yeah. So, and it has to be a like self-fulfilling project. So it will have some way to generate funds for maintenance or whatever. It's so different. All of these assumptions and then their their language and culture acquisition. You live with a host family who wants you and you submit to their rules, their house rules. You they teach you the culture and the language. And you pay them rent, you pay them f- for your food, like you negotiate a fair budget and Peace Corps gives you a stipend for it. Like when I said before, like that I was earning like two hundred dollars a month in mm-hmm. Peace Corps in Kyrgyzstan, pretty much like seventy percent of that money was going to right into my host family. And that's still not a lot. Like I really but it also went a really long way, you know? Mm-hmm. All of these things, like you're you're putting economic resources into this community, you're learning the local language, you are like submitting yourself to the the rituals and culture um, of that community, and you're not coming in to make waves. Mm-hmm. You are coming in to learn. Yeah, and your agenda is to be a tool that this community can use to like do whatever it is that they want to do for themselves. Yeah, it's it's like actually wanted and consented to instead of just like invaded. Yeah. So there's this like, I mean, it is, consent is like, I think a really good word for this. Like, Peace Corps does consensual work. Mm -hmm. Missionaries are cultural rapists. Basically, yes. They really, yeah. Yeah, it's just super fucked up. So I, I went into Peace Corps being really nervous. Like, I was like, finger on the trigger, I'm going to bail the minute I start seeing things look like missionary culture Mm -hmm. and i didn't i just i like i saw volunteers acting like that individuals Mm -hmm. but they would be corrected and redirected by peace corps staff like they were managed and reprimanded and held accountable that's awesome it just oh god it just i mean Yes, there's still the problem of you're, like, you're going in for two years and then you leave and, like, that's that's problematic. Like, there's still elements that are problematic. I'm not going to I'm not yeah. gonna deny that. But it's so different at its heart from how missionary work is done. Right. It, it, it approaches the entire thing from a different a different place. Yeah. Which is so good. Yeah. So, it's not it's not I know more than you and I'm better than you and here. Let me help you. It's. I have skills if you want to use them. Right. Is I, I have a certain you. skill set. You want a certain skill set. Um, and so the third goal of Peace Corps, like, 
they have they, they have three goals and like they're all about this consensual language and cultural exchange but the third goal is that you go back to wherever you came from and you maintain like ex- telling like white Americans about your experiences. Mm-hmm. So anytime I'm sitting around with people and they're like, no, where were you in Kazakhstan? And I'm like, Kyrgyzstan. Like, it's get not it right. That hard. It's not that hard. And I'm like, I'm pushing back on this like entitled colonialist mindset that's here. Mm-hmm. Because of my experiences there, I am continuing to like basically like market Kyrgyzstan. Um, And educate people who are prejudiced against Central Asian Muslims or, you know, um, you know, who don't or are not familiar with this as a country or don't know anything about it as a a community or a culture. Yeah, I think it's really positive because like that's people have so much colonialist baggage that they're not aware of. So to run into someone who's like had these different experiences really broadens how they think about the world. Yeah. And it's incredibly valuable. And it's it's a it's a project that requires a lot of humility. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really good. It's just kind yeah, of that's the antithesis true. of all this. Like Right. Yeah. Well like missionaries come back and they think they're a hero and and their entire like premise is that they should be celebrated for doing And this everyone thing. treats them like a hero. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way that I have ever considered my Peace Corps service to be heroic at all. Yeah. Like, I didn't have to do it. It was kind of presumptuous of me to do it. So I feel kind of guilty about that. But I also gained a whole lot and have some really beautiful friendships with people there who I care about deeply and who I'm still in touch with. It's complex. It's very complicated and uh, yeah. it's not perfect, but it's 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 an improvement. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah. But, like, the cool thing is... Kyrgyzstan asked for this. Yeah. So no, they were really. It, it feels more helpful. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's it's help that's actually wanted. Right. And um, Kyrgyzstan like doesn't allow missionaries. Like they like ban missionaries. And I've met missionaries in Kyrgyzstan who would come in on tourist visas, and mm-hmm. like basically illegal immigrant the fuck out. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> they yeah. would stick around. They would have these like weird requirements to participate like religious based requirements to participate in these clubs they would like you're we're gonna use the bible to like teach you english mm-hmm. um and and it people would get annoyed like they would get really frustrated they'd be like yeah i went to this english club and it turns out it was church and like i'm a muslim i'm yeah like, no. i don't need this no um and they made our work harder Mm-hmm. Because sometimes they would come in and they would say that they were Peace Corps volunteers. And oh my pe- god! Because Peace Corps has such a p- positive reputation in Kyrgyzstan, right. um, like, like people love Peace Corps volunteers, and so missionaries would come in and say that they were Peace Corps volunteers, and they'd get that like welcome from the community, and then they'd got do like a, a one eighty gotcha kind of thing, mm. and it made our lives difficult because we had to like fight back against whatever reputation they had left. Right. And the distrust, the layers of distrust that would be, like, residual after that. That's so gross and, like, not surprising. Yeah. I remember my churches had 
missionaries who did that in China and they were celebrated like heroes because they're like, yeah, no, I snuck into the country and then I taught people about Jesus and I oh, yeah. $100,000 for Chinese Bibles. My father smuggled Bibles into China and he yep. was so proud of himself. I'm sure they just like got thrown away. Probably. The whole thing is just really crappy. Yeah. Well, that has been Missionary Culture with Eve and Kieran. <laughs> Join us next time. Don't do missions. Just don't do it. Just yeah, say don't. no. Just say no to drugs. Just say, say no, no to missions. <laughs> yes. No, don't say no to drugs, but say no to missions. Yes. Drugs are great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can be great. They can be if you want them. As long as they're you not do anything um, dangerous you know, to financed and by major pharmaceutical companies. Right. <laughs> we all know antidepressants are of the devil. No, no, no. I was talking, I was thinking about opioids. Oh, right. Yes, that also. Fentanyl. Oh you know. my god. I couldn't even get like what I needed after my histo because they're like, "No, this is an opiate." And I'm like, "Well, then give me something else. I don't care. I just want to not die." Yeah. <laughs> it's frustrating. But yeah, say no to missions. Um and you can send us an email, send us a question. Um you can find us at um, on Twitter, I am Eve Ettinger, and you're MX Darkwater. Actually, no, I switched it. I'm Blue Pup Boy now, but you're Blue Boy is with an I instead of a Y. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, it was too good of a handle to like not use, so I'm using that now. Okay. Yeah. No more MX Darkwater, and mm-hmm. I am. I mean, Eve I still under- get it, but I am Eve underscore Ettinger now. Um, and you can help us out. For you know, Christmas presents by joining our Patreon, um, throwing a few dollars our way, that'd be great. And a big shout out to Aaron, who's our producer, who always faithfully edits um, our episodes and is a wonderful human. Yes, donate uh, because it's winter, and uh, you should donate to the Coalition for Responsible Home Education. We're both website. board members. We do really great work in terms of advocating for children to you know not be abused by their parents under the guise of being homeschooled yeah and you know actually maybe lower the math gap a little bit uh so you can donate at responsiblehomeschooling.org slash donate it'll also be in the links on the website well thank you for joining us see you next week bye, bye.